You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Crypto wars down under, a major DDoS incident's been found in Finland, bears in the home routers and concerns about IoT and power grid security prompt a U.S. senator to demand answers. Smart cities present big attack surfaces, preliminary notes on patches, ZTE and Huawei devices have formally been disinvited from U.S. government networks, and locking people in a room to teach them good cyber hygiene. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, August 14th, 2018. There's a fresh offensive in the crypto wars, and this one comes out of Australia. The government has announced its proposed regulations that would address encrypted communications used for criminal or espionage purposes. Mindful, no doubt, of the shirty reaction the other side in the crypto wars will have to any proposal that involves mandatory backdooring of systems or other measures that would weaken end-to-end encryption, the government explicitly rules out any intention of backdooring systems. Instead, in cases of criminal investigations, national security matters, or significant threats to the financial system, the government would be able to require companies to render various forms of assistance. Where a company held a key, for example, it might be called upon to let investigators use it to inspect communications. Or a company might be required to assist with development of a tool to gain access to otherwise inaccessible traffic. This hasn't mollified opponents of the measure, who don't see how the regulations could accomplish their purpose, without unacceptable compromises of end-to-end encryption. Critics tend to see the proposed regulations as either a backdoor to backdoors or as a species of magical thinking, in which encryption would be defeated without defeating encryption. But the government is determined to obtain a capability to read traffic associated with significant criminal, terrorist, and nation-state threats. On Sunday, Finland sustained a major distributed denial-of-service attack. The country's Information and Communications Technology Center, Valtori, called it the biggest attack we've had in the past few months, implying a relatively high rate of attack. Several citizen-facing websites were unavailable, including the national online identity verification service, Suomi.fi. The defense ministry was unaffected. There's no attribution yet, but earlier DDoS attacks have been ascribed to unnamed foreign actors. Concerns about state-sponsored attacks on industrial and consumer Internet of Things devices remain high. In the U.S., these concerns continue to center on Russian activity. There have been recent warnings about GRU compromise of home routers, known about for some time but only imperfectly redressed, such devices being notoriously easy to ignore when patching. Other concerns focus on the power grid, where GRU probes of utility business networks have been widespread. It's worth noting, as industrial cybersecurity firm Dragos did in its blog last week, that GRU presence in business networks isn't the same as staging disruptive malware in the industrial control systems used by electric utilities. It's a serious matter, especially given the role compromised business systems played in Russia's takedown of portions of Ukraine's grid, but it's not as if Moscow has installed a kill switch for Con Ed on President Putin's nightstand, 
right next to his copy of The Art of the Deal. So worth taking seriously, but also soberly and without panic. Congress continues to push the U.S. administration about power security. The most recent legislative paladin to ride to the grid's defense is Senator Markey, a Democrat from Massachusetts, who's widely circulating his letters of concern. He's asked individual utilities if they were victims of Russian probes, the Department of Homeland Security warned about, what measures they're taking to cover themselves from third-party risks, and if they've complied with recommendations from the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. And on that last, if not, why not? He's also asked for detailed descriptions of their security measures, a detailed account of any successful or attempted physical or cyber attacks, the utility's opinion of FERC critical infrastructure standards, and an account of any other vulnerabilities they've turned up, and what they intend to do about them. NERC, federal agencies, and power marketing associations have received similar letters. Any responses he receives will be interesting, and some of them will be surprising. Smart city technology presents an especially attractive attack surface. There's a growing concern about the sensors that technology deploys. IBM security and data security firm ThreatCare studied sensor hubs in particular, focusing on those delivered by three of the leaders in that sector, Libellium, Echelon, and Battelle. The hubs integrate inputs from a variety of sensors in order to provide a kind of swift situational awareness of conditions on the ground including traffic, weather, pollution levels, and so on. The researchers found and disclosed 17 bugs in the hubs that they thought posed a significant risk. The vendors have patched them, but two points are worth bearing in mind. First, many of the issues were familiar IoT problems, like easily guessed default passwords. Second, sensors, like so many IoT devices, are notoriously easy to overlook when applying patches or upgrades. Studies show that we are spending more of our online time on mobile devices, relying on apps to help us keep in touch and manage our day-to-day tasks. That, of course, makes mobile devices an attractive target. Bob Stevens is vice president of public sector at Lookout, a company that provides products to help protect mobile devices. Uh, as you know, I mean, applications have, uh, have caught on quite successfully. I mean, it is an app-based world now. You know, unfortunately, the bad guys have figured that out as well. Uh, so that they're starting to or have been targeting applications, uh, particularly on mobile devices, uh, to try and steal data or credentials or, you know, to be able to turn your microphone on and listen in on meetings or take your photos or turn your camera on and figure out where the, you are in your surroundings. So, you know, things of that nature. Where are you usually seeing these uh, pop up? I mean, I, I think we hear the the uh, the stereotype of the the flashlight app that does a lot more than what it's advertised doing, but uh, are, are you seeing particular trends here? Uh, we are, yes. Uh, you know, one one trend is uh, you know is is phishing, uh, and I don't know that you can say that that's a a, a new trend. I mean, it's uh, phishing has been popular on desktops for a long time. Uh, you know, the big difference is that you know on a desktop we fish, uh, the the phishing came via email. Uh, but in a uh, mobile world, it can come from a lot of different places. It can come from a text. It can come via an application like Facebook or a communications application like WhatsApp or Signal or Telegram. Uh, it can come via the email. It can come, you know, via uh, the web. So there's a lot of different ways for, you know, somebody to fish you on a mobile device. 
And are you seeing that uh, you know that one platform versus the other does a better job of keeping these types of apps out of their app store? You know, they both try, uh, but you know, the bad guys are pretty creative. Uh, you know, and I, I hesitate to say that one do, does better than than the other. Uh, you know, I think that they're they both put together equal amounts of effort to ensure they're providing you know, safe applications for their users. But the bad guy, like I said, the bad guys still get in. And, and you know, the bad guys don't necessarily use the app stores either. Uh, as an example, there's one threat that we recently uh, announced uh, called Stealth Mango. And, you know, it started with a phishing attempt, uh, but then they would send you to a, not the one of the, the popular app stores, but, but a different app store uh, to download an upgrade of an application. Um, and of course, once you got that application, you had malware on your device and it didn't come from, you know, the popular ones, but it's still out there and they're able to get it on your device. So what are your recommendations for folks to better protect themselves? Well, uh, you know, it's a, it's a defense in depth, uh, as with anything, you know, an enterprise should be deploying, uh, some sort of mobile device management, or they now call it EMM enterprise mobility management to ensure that the policies that your organization, um, want to have enforced are enforced. Uh, so what I mean by that is, you know, if lookouts on a device and we detect that, you know, you've just downloaded a version of Facebook that that is malicious, uh, that MDM can now take over and uh, quarantine you from the network so that you can't do any more damage or the bad guy can't do any more damage uh, or and have you perform some sort of remediation uh, on, on your device uh, to, to remove the application. So I think that's required. You know, an application like Lookout that's that's looking for malware, looking for risky behavior, looking for network-based threats, looking for phishing attempts, um, so that, that it can, they can be blocked before any harm can be done, and uh, and some safe and safe browsing to ensure that you're going to you know safe websites. You know, deploying some sort of encryption is always good. You want to make sure that your the data that's on your device is encrypted, uh, so that even if they are able to access something you know, it's worthless to them. So I think those are probably the three things that you want to look at. Um, you know, mobile devices are used for just about everything now. You know, your banking apps, all your travel, your calendars, your email. There's a lot of data there. It's basically your life. Um, so you need to protect it as if it's one of the most important things that's in your life. That's Bob Stevens from Lookout. It's Patch Tuesday with Microsoft and others expected to roll out fixes over the course of the day. Some noteworthy patches have already been released over the last few days. A patch for Netcom 4G LTE Lite Industrial M2M routers is out, addressing a critical vulnerability. Users are advised to patch quickly. Oracle has addressed a vulnerability that could compromise an Oracle database and grant shell access to underlying servers. President Trump has signed legislation barring ZTE and Huawei devices from federal enterprises, Other sanctions, particularly against Russia and Iran, are widely expected to prompt cyber retaliation. Finally, here's a cyber hygiene training approach from the National Geospatial Agency. Lock employees in a room until they get it. That sounds more sinister than in fact it is. And the reality sounds way more fun than the sort of Alcatraz solitary the headlines suggest. The NGA will be running training events in its Virginia and Missouri campuses. They've hired training company Living Security to design escape rooms that one can get out of by solving various cybersecurity puzzles that focus on the NGA's tenets and risks, and that will use training moments and challenge questions customized to NGA's information technology and security policies 
and messaging to provide consistency with the cybersecurity program. So, let us know how that works out, you NGA types. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, welcome back. Um, we wanted to touch on threat hunting today. Uh, why don't we start off, what is threat hunting and, and what is it not? So threat hunting is looking for adversaries that are already present uh, within your network or, or your endpoints. Enterprises today are spending money on things like antivirus and firewalls and intrusion detection and prevention systems uh, for their network. But what do you do if any of that fails? It really only takes a couple systems for an adversary to move around or to subvert, and then they're in and persistent within your environment. And so what threat hunting is, is the constant and continuous uh, searching for basically two things, Dave. Hmm. Number one, it's looking for the anomalous. So it's looking for things that don't smell quite right, but... It could be a, a new patch that has changed that registry key or a new program has shown up because someone installed it. Or looking at things like uh, the suspicious, things like perhaps this registry key was added with this new probable, uh, potentially unwanted program. Or the suspicious being uh, someone logging in directly into a Linux system using a root login instead of logging in as a user and then becoming super user. So uh, threat hunting is really looking for the things that are misplaced or shouldn't be there. 
So is this uh, an expensive thing to spin up within an organization? When, when do you know when it's time to, to activate this process? Well, I think uh, all enterprises of, of sufficient size, meaning uh, really in the SMB market, I think threat hunting is going to be too spendy to do it yourself. I think that um, most managed service providers or managed detection and response providers should be supplying that for the SMB market. But for the larger enterprises that are managing their own infrastructure, it should absolutely be a, a part of their cyber defense program. The barrier to entry to threat hunting is that there's simply not enough people in the industry today in order to not only run the threat hunt program, but develop the threat hunt program. Many of my clients are struggling with saying, okay, I know we need to do threat hunting and I kind of have some people to do it, but what do I do? There have been some vendors out there that are automating their EDR systems in order to codify things like the MITRE attack matrix and putting that in their agent or in their software so that uh, human beings don't have to remember every little nitpicky thing that the attack matrix for MITRE presupposes. And so with that automation, it still gives our threat hunters a leg up in order to find the anomalous and the suspicious. So what's your advice? So what's the best way for someone to get started? The best advice here is to bring in a, a, a trusted third party, hopefully one that has a, uh, a threat hunt methodology in order to give to the threat hunters. Uh, in my experience, or at least in the old days, uh, the old days being several years ago, uh, <laughs> threat hunting was just merely hiring a bunch of smart infosec people and throwing them against a problem saying, go find evil, go find the anomalous and the suspicious. And that that's, hasn't been working at scale. So I think uh, number one is to settle on a, uh, a threat hunting methodology. Ours, the one that we've developed amongst my team, is what we call intel-driven hypothesis-based threat hunting methodology. Hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of other types of methodologies out there that are just as good. Uh, the second step, Dave, would be focusing on a technology set that will support uh, codifying things like the MITRE attack matrix into an EDR product. So not only do you have to have the people, the methodology, but you also have to have the tools and the visibility amongst uh, the endpoints and the networks in order to surface that telemetry and then to, to analyze it. So some of our customers utilize uh, EDR products that send all their data back to a centralized source. Perhaps it's Splunk, perhaps it's their SIM, perhaps it's the EDR console, and then they hunt within that environment uh, in order to find uh, those adversaries latent within the network and the endpoints. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.